scripture reading from Mark chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. That's page 884 in the Pew Bible. Once again, Mark chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us, thank you so much for being here this morning. We hope that you'll be able to come back with us several times and that we'll have the opportunity to get to know you. And you've been encouragement to us by being here this morning, and we hope that we can encourage you. It is wonderful uh, to be a part of God's blessings this past week that this congregation has had the blessing to be a part of on our stateside mission trip. Uh, we owe God a great debt that we can never repay on this earth. And let's, as already been done this morning, continue to pray and, and to help and encourage those folks there in Fayetteville, Georgia, uh, just as they've been an encouragement to us this week. You'll hear more in the weeks to come about the mission trip. One of our uh, Wednesday nights this year in our summer series is designated to that report and look forward to that. We appreciate Mitch and his leadership in that and the great good that's come about because of each one that sacrificed the time uh, to go and to be a part of that. Also, uh, looking forward for just a moment, we want to remind everyone that Vacation Bible School is just around the corner. Not tomorrow, but next Monday, Vacation Bible School begins. So now is the time uh, to help your kids get that list of friends together that they want to invite. Now's the time to make sure that you're helping with last-minute things that can be done. Be sure and keep your ears open to announcements. Remember that next Sunday night, a week from tonight, we'll have our ice cream supper. And that is kind of designed not only to kick off Vacation Bible School, but it also brings a lot of men into the house where last minute moving around, setting up of chairs and etc. It's kind of designed to be a time where if there's any last minute things to be done, and there usually are a few, it gives the opportunity to have many available for that. So be, sh be sure and be planning on staying for that and being available for that. Orville Wright, in 1903, did something that most before that day thought that it could never be done. You see, he and his brother could envision the reality that someone truly could fly through the air. That day, he only flew for 120 feet and only for 12 seconds. But that day was the fulfillment of something that they had envisioned in their minds since they were little boys. You see, the success of that day began far beyond or far before that day. The success of that day was in part because in 1878, their father came into the house and he was trying to conceal a toy that he bought for them, but it was too large to hide in his hands. And as the two boys ran into the room, 
trying to hide something. And he said, before we could reach out, of it. And instead of falling to the ground as he tossed it into the air, it began to move about the room and even bump into the ceiling. And then finally, as it hit the ceiling, it floated down to the ground. He said, Daddy called it a new toy called a helicopter. And he said that cork wood and that bamboo that it was made out of with two rubber bands torqued tightly caused it instead of falling to the ground to rise up in the air. He says, my brother and I decided that we could build one large enough for man. Diligent efforts sparked by a vision of what could become has produced great things throughout the duration of mankind. And how awesome it is when man shares God's vision. What can you and I do in our life? I don't know. But if we work along with God and we share God's vision and we give our life and our service, we sacrifice all that we are and all that we have to become all that God can use us up to be, what is it that God has in mind for Mount Juliet Church of Christ? I dare say that a hundred years from now, God can do more with this congregation than what any of us could ever imagine, could ever think. And so the question now is will we be available? I believe that the only way we can fully become everything that God wants us to become is that collectively we need to share a vision with each other. Let's think for just a moment and for time restraints. We're going to mention these very quickly, but yet they're very important. Let's think about why vision. What have visions accomplished, not only uh, spiritually, but just in life in general? What is it that visions accomplish? Visions fulfill potential. You remember when Paul wrote to the churches of Corinth? He had a vision that Gentile churches would be able to send a great support down to Jerusalem. But he knew that it could only take place over time. So for about a two-year period of time, he shares this vision with congregation after congregation, reminding them of the potential that they had to make a mark, to show the Jerusalem church how much they loved and cared for them. And he would write back to remind them that they could do this. He mentions it in 1 Corinthians 16th chapter. He mentions it in 2 Corinthians the 8th and 9th chapter. He even tells them that the church of Macedonia is living up to their potential. Sometimes we need to share with each other what can we do together. Because when we share together what might be the potential, it causes all of us to believe and work together. Secondly, it directs passion. Nehemiah had passion to build back a wall. His heart was broken. He heard the report that the wall was still crumbled there. There was such an embarrassment to God's people. but he also began to pray. He wanted to do something. He created in his mind a vision that in that day seemed almost impossible. Here he was in a foreign land, but he believed that he could have something to do with the wall being built back. Why? He could see by faith in God a vision that that wall could be complete. And when we read in the middle of the book of Nehemiah, we see that the wall was complete. Third, we see that vision enhances motivation. Right now, I want to imagine that we ask a few of you to take a shovel and some sand and some bags and start filling bags. I wonder how many of us, after three or four hours, we would say, "Uh, is this enough bags? We're really hot out here. We're tired. My back's hurting. Surely this is enough bags. Can we quit? I really don't know why we're doing this. Can we go home now? Can we eat? 
Just imagine that scene. And over here is a town on the outskirts of the Mississippi River and the flood is rising and the town gets together and says, we can save our town if we can build a dike ten foot high. And they say, what we need to do is form a team. We can build this wall. And so they begin to fill bags and they begin to shovel and they work several hours and you don't hear anyone saying, let's take a break. You don't hear anyone saying, can we go home and eat? Instead, you hear them saying, we can do this. We can build the wall. What's the difference in these two scenes that we just painted? One is doing things, but they have no vision in mind and the other is saying, we know exactly what we're working toward and we can't accomplish it. Can you imagine a church that has no vision? Well, I I just don't know why they want me to do things. I don't know why they want me to give. We wear down quickly when we don't know why we're serving God. The fourth thing that I need to see about a vision is that it sets direction. In other words, we need to work together. Can you imagine 600 people going in, in all sorts of directions, pulling almost against each other, never pulling as a whole together? A vision places a group before a group of people, gives them a direction in which to pull. Collective, synergy, accomplishment, because everyone is working in the same direction. And finally, we see that vision shares purpose. Don't you want to have a reason to get out of bed in the morning? Don't you want to have a reason to be a child of God? Not just an eternal reason to share heaven with God, which is the ultimate reason, but what about on this earth? Surely God designed the church for His people to make a difference on this earth. We can make Mount Juliet a better place to live because we are children of God with a vision to reach out and to serve those in our community. We can help this world's population to increase the population of heaven because we believe in a great commission. We can help defeat Satan in our lives and the lives of others if we truly believe that God has given this church a vision. God has always given the church a purpose for its existence, not only to share an eternity with Him, but to make a difference on this earth. When Jesus spoke of influence, He spoke of salt, and He spoke of light, and a city that's set on the hill. What difference will we make? As we think about this, I want you to think about the text that was so capably read just a few moments ago in Mark the third chapter. And as we think about this text, I want to share with you briefly a story that took place just a few, several months ago. The elders of this congregation realized that we needed to see where we were today and where we're going to be over the next few years with our physical, with our facility. A committee of a dozen or so men put together a report of how many classrooms were in use and how many were available, how many seats were being used in the auditorium and how many were available for growth, how many spaces in the parking lot were presently being used and how many... Uh, were available for future growth and what we found out was that many things needed to be addressed immediately and as you've seen many of those things have been addressed now put that on hold for just a moment another committee was put together this committee was to look at all of the ways this congregation could serve God over the next 20 years and this committee was not to look at any restrictions of resources 
In other words, this committee was not to say, wouldn't it be awesome if we could do this and someone else pop up and say, well, we don't have the staff to do that. Well, we don't have the money to do that. We don't have the land to do that. We don't have the facilities to do that. In other words, this committee was only to look and see how can we serve God over the next 20 years, and this committee is to dream of how we can glorify God in this place. And then if the Lord decides to give us the resources, if He decides to open the door and make those opportunities available, these are things that we want to be a part of. Now, where do you begin to dream like that? There needs to be guidelines set to these dreams because this isn't our church. This is the Lord's church. This isn't a secular organization where we just set forth some carnal or even arrogant goals where we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look what we have done. And so if we are truly going to dream like this, the committee began by saying, let's study Mark the third chapter. This morning, and when the Lord was gathering together His first apostles, the twelve apostles, the first disciples that He would commit them not only to the things that was happening in that day and time, but that the, to the church that was to be established. Followed him. Followers from an entire area. This man is successful. here to be followers of Him. Now when we notice this, and we go to Luke, and, and we're not going to take the And He prayed all night long. So in other words, He had... ...and He prays no doubt for future success, as he wants to make sure that the right leaders are put in place so that the church could one day be what it was designed to be. And then, when he selects those 12 men, he speaks in part of what they are to accomplish. 
Let's look again back in our Bibles, Mark, the third chapter, and notice at the end of verse 14, when he talks about appointing the twelve, at the end of 14, he says that he might send them out, number one, to preach, number two, to have power to heal the sick, cast out demons. The Lord says, I want to choose you twelve men. I want you to give your life to this. Can I entrust preaching to you? Will you go out and teach and preach the gospel? Can I entrust to you the power to heal? Can I count on you to be individuals that are cast out demons? Now, if you take the miraculous aspects out of that, and we look at the principles only, those are three things that the church has always been about. The church has always been about teaching and preaching the gospel, seeing the hurt of the people around them and helping to whatever ability they can to help heal the hurt and the lives of people around them. And then finally, we've always as a church been about fighting Satan. Satan want them to take the life of Jesus Christ and be delivered of that sin. And so these individuals that sat down for probably 20 to 30 hours over several months' period of time, see ourselves by faith doing to teach and preach. Young and mistreated. that we can do to fight Satan in the lives of our community, in the lives of our families, and even in the lives of individuals. And when we consider this, it's almost mind-boggling. Someone with great vision can see more than anyone else can see, and can see further than others can see, and can see before others can see. That's usually the marks come and to prepare the way for the people. We see that all throughout the Scriptures. When leaders were willing to share God's vision, they could be prepared for the things to come. Noah shared in God's vision to build an ark, and he was prepared, he and his family, when that flood came. Moses shared in God's vision... And he was prepared to go back even before the people themselves were prepared. He was prepared and making preparations to lead them out of Egypt. Nehemiah believed before anybody else believed that a wall could be built back and dignity and honor could be brought back to God's city of Jerusalem. And he did that and saw that and believed that before others believed. That leads to a very important point. Because visionarians often see before others, oftentimes visions are criticized because others can't see it. This morning, in just a few minutes, Kevin will share with us some things that have been a part of the 2020 vision, the year 2020, but also the clear vision described as 2020. 
And if you've been the type of person that's just lived day to day, never really thought a whole lot about what your purpose is on this life and the difference that you can make in the lives of others, there'll be some things about this vision that will make you a little bit uncomfortable because small boats like to stay close to the ocean side, to the land. But if you're willing, if you're willing to invest your life and to risk and to sacrifice and stay close to God but move far from the land, I believe that what we'll find is that God has some tremendous things in store for us over the next 20 years. Let's close this morning by reading two passages. If you will, turn to Ephesians, the third chapter. Ephesians, the third chapter in verse 20. Ephesians, the third chapter in verse 20, Paul writes, notice as we read the words, ask and think. Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, this is talking about God, to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. There are so many things that's taught to us about vision in this passage. Number one, we need to ask and think. Someone says, I hadn't really thought about where we're going as a church family. If a church family doesn't ask and think about and to God where we're going, we might just get what James, the fourth chapter and verse two tells that individuals and I suppose churches get when they don't ask. James makes it very clear. You have not because you ask not. How many churches are there out there? They're stagnant. They're going nowhere and they've gotten exactly what they've asked about. They didn't ask to do anything. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to go anywhere. They'd rather just kind of swivel on the vine and just meet Sunday after Sunday. And they've gotten exactly what they've asked about. And here Paul writes to the church of Colossae and he says, Church, keep asking. Keep dreaming. Keep thinking. And you know what? God's going to give you more than you've even asked for. He's going to give you more than you've even been thinking about. But notice this. 21, the glory is to the church. Christ through the church. It's fine to be involved in good works wherever they may be, but I would urge you to never put your heart and soul in something that the Lord and the church doesn't receive the glory. Someone says, well, I just love being in this civic organization. Good, be in that civic organization, but don't give that civic organization your heart because the church and Christ is not going to receive the glory for your efforts that's done in a civic organization. I'm not saying don't be involved in that. I'm simply saying don't give them your heart. You give your heart to God. You do good works that's going to receive the most glory to God. And we do that through the church so that Christ receives the glory. Now, let's turn to Proverbs, the 29th chapter and verse 18. On the screen, you're going to see this read from two translations. First translation will be the King James Version, then the New King James. Proverbs 29 and 18, where there is no vision... The people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. New King James says, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy
people don't have God's will revealed to them, now it's revealed for all, but if they've not taken the time to learn it, someone says, I honestly don't know what God's purpose is for my life. Or a church family could say, I don't have any idea what God's purpose is for us. In other words, they don't know that God's purpose is them for to preach the gospel to all the world. They don't know that God's purpose is to reach out to the community and heal the needs. They don't know that we're at war every day against an enemy and we need to battle Satan. So someone has lost purpose. They've lost vision of this because they don't know the revelation of God. Well, what is a vision? A vision is where... In other words, a vision in our mind of what we ought to be. Now notice, if we don't have that, we perish or we lose restraint. Have you ever seen someone that they claim to be a Christian, but they just don't ever remain faithful? You could sit down with that person and you could say, can you imagine the next time this peer pressure comes up at work or at school and your peers, your friends ask you to do something that's wrong? Can you envision how you're going to handle that? And you know what that person would say? No, I can't. If you and I right now cannot envision how we're going to overcome temptation, we can't overcome it. Can you envision how you're going to invite the next person that you run up on, your neighbor or a co-worker to, to church? Can you envision how that conversation is going to go? How you're going to invite them to come to worship? If you can't envision it, it won't happen. Can you envision how your life is going to become stronger because you're going to be disciplined to read the Word on a regular basis and pray fervently? You say, I just can't see that fitting into my day. It won't fit into your day. What's the point? We must take the will of God and envision it in our life so that it becomes a conviction. So we say, this is what I'm going to become. This is how I want to serve God. This is what God's will is for my life. And I want to grow into it. It's exciting to be a part of a church that's so active and vibrant. But you know, it's also a great responsibility. God can use you and I, to do great things for His glory. But as we're about to sing this invitation song, I want to urge you to think about, can you envision yourself living a faithful life to the Lord? If you can't see it, you're allowing Satan's thoughts to become your thoughts. You can live a faithful life. You can live a life dedicated to Christ's body, the church. You can be everything that God wants you to be, and you're believing a lie if you don't think you can. The Lord would never ask of us what we cannot give to Him. And the things that we cannot do, that's grace. He'll do those things for us. But He always requires us to do our part. If you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ for the mission of sins, won't you do that this morning? Or if you have been baptized into Christ, but yet you've lost vision of what the Christian life is all about, and you've stopped following the revelation, and you've gotten yourself off course, this morning is a wonderful time to get on course. And let's give our life in service to God and give Him all the glory. If you need to repent of sins and confess before man, let's pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.